Hey, welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Bill Kelly Podcast. Greg Brady, guest hosting for Bill. We started off talking about the excitement about 18-plus vaccines, but they're not going to be available for everybody. Demand will outstrip supply. I'll tell you what that means and whether there was a way around this as we move on with the topic. Marianne Mead Ward, Mayor of Burlington, we'll talk to her about the outdoor restrictions still plaguing many municipalities, including Burlington. How close are we to getting our outdoors back? We'll ask her that. Stephanie Carvin weighs in. She's an associate professor of international affairs at Carleton about the quick switch of Mr. Fortan from duties as head of Canada's vaccination rollout and why it took so long to happen after the allegation was put forward a couple months ago. And Dr. Zane Chagla will join us, an infectious disease specialist, and we'll talk about the good things happening with vaccinations and the distribution of said vaccines, which we mentioned off the top. It's all on the Bill Kelly Podcast. Enjoy. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. What a show we have for you. What energy I'm bringing to the table today. I brought it yesterday. Today, I'm feeling it. I was thinking about the vaccines on the drive-in. And today's a huge day in Ontario because we're opening up uh, vaccine eligibility to 18-plus everywhere. 18-plus. And, you know, Dr. Isaac Bogush did an interview with TV Ontario. You know the the Channel 2 that was on your TV when you, you when you only had five channels? Yeah, on the UHF band, TV Ontario. That's still around, and it's great. Steve Pakin, uh, I love talking to Steve Pakin, and he's amazing. What a great journalist and host. And uh, so TVO is still something. And on their website, uh, Dr. Isaac Bogush, um, epidemiologist to the stars, you see him everywhere, and for good reason. He's a fantastic communicator. He answers smart questions and dumb questions. I've probably fired him a few of both in the last 15 months. And he he made the point that sometimes we have a problem with the with the um, COVID here in our province, and we make a 2 out of 10 problem a 10 out of 10 problem. It's a problem, but maybe it's a 2 out of 10 or a 3 out of 10. And we can do this in our own lives, right? We can do this in our own household. Um, yeah, it happens a fair bit. I, I tend to handle the 10 out of 10 problems really, really well. This is what people who know me say about me. I handle the 9 out of 10s and the 10 out of 10s really well. But what I can do is I can make a 3 or a 4 out of 10 into an 8 or a 9. I can sweat the small stuff. The big stuff I got. I got this. No problem whatsoever. But I can escalate and elevate a four or a three into an eight or a nine. So he mentioned the vaccine eligibility. And I was thinking about this driving in. I think it's I think it's a three out of ten problem, but I'm not gonna get on the radio and come into your speakers in your car, in your house, through your smart speaker on Radio Player Canada app, wherever I am right now, on the Bill Kelly podcast, I'm not going to come into those venues and rant and rave about something that's not a huge problem. I think the eligibility is too quick to go to 18. I would rather we were doing 30 plus. I would certainly rather do frontline workers, and I would rather do our seniors, our home-bound uh, seniors right now, because our LTCs are done, and we're seeing the effectiveness of the vaccines. But I would rather get to 30 plus in Ontario before we switch this to 18, because there's going to be some issues. I, I remember what it was like five, six weeks ago. I was eligible for a vaccine um, and uh, and I was excited to log on and try and get a spot. And you forget what the adrenaline rush is like because we 
We haven't gone any. You like when you buy tickets for a trip. Now you're they're not going to run out of tickets. You'll just have to switch to a different flight. But some tickets obviously are event specific. I mentioned you know Leafs playoff games. Think about what that used to be like. Think about a big concert. You know it's going to sell out. And I'm a little bit of a of a, a live music addict. I'd rather I'd probably rather go see live music than sports to be honest. Um, so think about the rush it is to get tickets for something that's going to sell out. It is, it's a drug in itself. But there aren't going to be enough this time around for everybody 18-plus in your community, in my community, in Hamilton, in London, in Kitchener, in Toronto. I can keep going. There won't be at Windsor. I, there won't be enough. No question. So I don't love that. But to me, it's a 3 or 4 out of 10 problem. We have the vaccines. What don't you hear Premier Ford yipping and yapping about that he was a month ago. The vaccines. Where's Justin Trudeau? Vaccines. We need some vaccines. What? I thought there'd be vaccine. We've got plenty. Plenty to get going, but not enough to uh, outfit everybody with what they need. And we want to slide down that 16 weeks to maybe 12 or 13 weeks for some of our seniors. Not because, not because they won't work after 16 weeks. We are kind of, you know... It's the rat in a cage experiment, to quote uh, Billy Corgan and the Smashing Pumpkins. We are doing a bit of a rat in a, in a cage experiment with our 70-year-olds, making them wait 16 weeks. No one else is. But there's many people, and Dr. Bogosh is one, that says this shouldn't be a problem. And he's not, he's not you know, haphazardly pushing it aside and saying, well, we'll see. This might not, like, he's not saying this might not be a problem. He's pretty confident that it won't be. But I think 30-plus would have been the way to go. I do. I do think that. Yesterday, we interviewed uh, Andrea Horvath. She stopped by the show, and we talked to her about outdoor restrictions. She put together the proposal to open back up the outdoors to all of us in the only province, territory, or state where specific activities are closed. Now, when they reopen on June 2nd, when the stay-at-home order ends, they're not extending that. They're not extending that. They've exhausted all potential political capital. And that's something I want to get into next segment. And I will bottom of hour uh, with Marianne Mead Ward, the mayor of Burlington as well. But Paul Calandra in Queens Park yesterday repped the government and basically defended the outdoor restrictions. OK, um, and how how will I put this? He's like he's the government. He's the Ontario government house leader for the conservative party. And he reps uh, Markham Stouffville in, in York region. But he made this about the individual instead of the collective. And I made the, it's weird that this happened because I made this exact point yesterday. But sometimes things aren't about you. Sometimes things just aren't about you. OK, you step up and do something for somebody at your job because you're a team and you've got somebody's back. And you put you, you know, you put them on your shoulders and you get them through a day. Or in my case, sometimes a radio show. Sometimes you have to do two or three in a row, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but let's not go there. But either way, you do those things because you'll you'll get it in return. And it'll make you feel good about, about helping the collective. You do it in your own household. You do it for your neighbor. Um, and I, I think Paul Calandra made this just about him yesterday. And it's a really bad sign because that's not what governing is. Here's what he said. Speaker, I like to play golf. I'm bad at it, but I like to play it. I like to play tennis. I'm not so good at it. But I can wait until June the 3rd to play golf, and I can wait until June the 3rd to play tennis. The member from Ottawa talks about uh, uh, parents in, in, in his riding. Uh, in his riding, like my riding, parks are open. 
I was in the parks just this weekend and I saw them with families taking walks. The member for Guelph, Parks in Guelph, to the best of my knowledge, are open, not closed, Mr. Speaker. What we are asking the people of the province of Ontario to do is stick with us a little bit longer because we are seeing, and just last week we talked about Nurses Week, we talked about PSW, uh, PSWs today. Our hospitals are telling us that the ICUs, while the numbers are getting better, we're still not there, Mr. Speaker. Okay, so there's a lot there. Let me just say, first of all, and then and then Doug Ford was on Bill Kelly's show, obviously, this show on Friday, and I want you to hear what he said uh, before we take a few phone calls. But Calandra says, well, I can wait. I, I, I can, I'm not very good at golf. I, I can wait to play golf. I'm not very good at tennis, but I like to play it. Okay, that's fine. I mean, you know, I'd, I'd love to get Paul Calandra on the court for uh, two to three sets. I might even let him use the doubles alleys. Like he's downplay. I don't think he. I don't think this is the color of money where Tom Cruise pretends he can't play. Uh, can't play billiards and then uh, smokes people and and takes two hundred bucks and runs to the car with Paul Newman and Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. I don't think it's quite like that. But I do. I would say this. This is about the collective, not the individual. This is not about an MPP in his forties making two hundred grand a year. By the way, it's not about him. It's not about me, a radio guy talking to you. It's about my dad. It's about my 77-year-old dad, and I want to see him play golf. I'd love to go and drive to, to Strathroy or uh, outside of London and uh, Lindenshire in, in North London near Arva and play golf with him. I'd love to do that. Um, but I can't right now. Beautiful days. we got we got a long weekend coming up. And I'd love to see my 13-year-old play soccer right now. But I can't do that. And remember... We've got to move in terms of codes. They'll say, hey, open up, outdoors is open back up again. You can play golf. You can play tennis. Any sports parent right now knows, knows that's no guarantee about youth sport. Like, I'd sign up right now for youth sports to start on June 20th. I don't have the confidence that they're going to allow us to do that. When I hear people within the PC party say, well, listen, schools are the priority. we got to get schools open before anything else. N- no, we don't. Schools are a, that's a lost cause for the year. That's where we are. There's five weeks left. I'd love to see graduations allowed for grade 8s and grade 12s, but we're not sending our kids back to school. I think in no matter what region we're in, we're not just talking about hotspots, Toronto, Peel, Halton. We're, we're, not, we're talking all the way through the province. So I want to get your thoughts on the outdoor restrictions when you hear that it's about the individual, what does that make you feel like? And will you give them credit if they give it back to us early? I've put my foot, I put my feet in the sand. I've put my sword into the stone. I'm not. I'm not. And I do think this government has done some things well during this pandemic. This isn't about party politics for me. This isn't about identity politics or ideologue. I'm not an ideologue. I do not play that way, but I'm not giving them credit. If they open it up this weekend, too bad. None of this had anything to do with ICU numbers. None of this had anything to do with the cases. It has not driven down the cases that golf hasn't been open, tennis hasn't been open. And when I hear um, the Honorable Paul Calandras say, oh, just go for a walk with your family, that gets tired after a while. Buddy, we've been at this 32 days for no reason, and we're the only place on the continent or Western Europe, that's been doing this. It has zero influence on cases. It has zero influence on hospital beds. No one has lived or died in the last 32 days because of these outdoor restrictions, and I'd go to the bank with that.
This is Greg Brady in for Bill Kelly on 900 CHML and 980 CFPL in London. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're very pleased to welcome in the mayor of Burlington right now. She is, of course, Marianne Mead Ward. Marianne, it's Greg Brady. Thank you very much for making the time for uh, joining me today. I appreciate it. Yeah, really happy to chat with you. Well, let's let's chat about, um, you know, you, you were on hold as we were getting you set up and, and you hear that some of the local health officials are saying clearly this is a day that it's exciting and it's great if you get a vaccine appointment and your everyone's turn is coming. But this will probably be a day where the demand outstrips the supply a little bit. And, and we're going to hear about it. That that was inevitable. There's, there's no question we will. I, uh, I I totally support opening it up to more age groups because there is never 100 percent uptake in availability. So, uh, you know, there are, we, we have, you know, thousands of 80 year olds and over who haven't had their first shot by choice. So allowing more people to make the choice and make the call to get a vaccine, I think it's the right direction, especially as we head towards more uh, reopening. And, you know, there have been times when we've been open uh, without a vaccine. That. That was all of last summer. Yeah, it was. And it sure so was. businesses have figured out, uh, certainly in Burlington, how to keep their employees and customers safe with or without a vaccine. And those measures, those health measures, wearing a mask, staying six feet apart from somebody you don't live with, critically important as we uh, as we move into the next couple of weeks and months. We still have num- to follow all those health health measures. And if people are doing that, they should be uh, they're safe. Yeah, absolutely. Not not much is changing terribly uh, based on the health measures and, and the distancing. And I do think we're not, you know, maybe we're not giving our people uh, and Ontario residents enough credit for for doing just that. They're getting their first dose and they're still, you know, there's some there's some freedoms, there's some liberties. They're more confident in taking that are safe, that are distanced and uh, and they're not doing all the other stuff. And we've learned what we need to do. It's, it's almost, you know, uh, a habit now. It's, it's something we don't even think about in terms of, of, you know, getting the mask on, keeping six feet apart. And, uh, you know, in, uh, certainly in Burlington and Halton, we have seen our infection rates be lower than every other municipality around us. That's because people are figuring it out. They've followed the rules for a year and they'll continue to follow them uh, while they wait for their vaccine and even after they're vaccinated. And that's a really important message yeah. that it's not you know, business as usual, because you got the shot. You know, we, we are still uh, in a in a situation for the next couple of weeks or months where we those health me- measures will be uh, just as important as getting your shot. My, I, I get my first one on Saturday, by the way. I'm very excited. Exciting. <laughs> Early morning wake up for that? Or do you got to you got to sweat it out <laughs> not, in the morning? Is afternoon? Not too bad. That's not uh, bad. The whole, the whole family is uh, is heading in. So we're uh, we're we're happy about that. That's great. No, that's great to be able to go uh, together. Uh, we're speaking, by the way, with Marianne Mead Ward, the mayor of the city of Burlington, on the Bill Kelly Show. My name is Greg Brady. Do you, when you you brought that up about the eighty year olds, what does the data tell you in Burlington about eighty year olds that are hesitant to get shots, and what does it tell you about eighty year olds that um, that that will need more convincing? We're really not going to go to a great place. We can go to an adequate place, but we're really not going to go to a great place until those people get their shots. How do how do how do we facilitate that. Well, I think there's a lot of there's there's a lot of concern because of of some of the news reports that people have heard about the different vaccines. And when you hear, you know, one bad news story about one vaccine, it really does, uh, you know, cause concern for people about any of the vaccines. And there's there's a very small percentage of people. Uh, we saw some uh, some data yesterday. 
you know, it's three or four percent who have said they will never vaccinate. They, they just won't. Doesn't matter what it is. And, and you can't persuade them. And that's their choice. We, we don't have compulsory vaccinations. Nobody is suggesting that. Uh, the vast majority of people um, are, are, are willing to get vaccinated. We've seen hesitancy drop uh, over the last couple of weeks and months. So that's really good news. And I, I think, you know, people are more concerned about the devastating impacts of COVID. And, you know, let's face it, more of us now know somebody who's been affected. Mm-hmm. I, I know people who are in ICU at Joe Brent. I, that, you know, two months ago, I didn't. And so as the reality of the situation uh, hits more families and homes and the impact and the, and the ongoing impact, I think that starts to change people's minds. So we've certainly seen uh, vaccine hesitancy drop, but we, you know, we, need, we need as many people as feel comfortable, and I'm encouraging everybody for your own sake and that of others to, to get vaccinated. We had a gentleman call earlier today uh, when we were talking about the outdoor restrictions in the opening segment, and he said, "Well, you know, everybody should stay at home. A game of golf isn't isn't worth a life." And uh, and I, I didn't want to argue terribly with him when we were running short on the clock, but uh, I I just don't believe the science and data uh, dictate that that that's a accurate statement. And I would say through the media and maybe through the provincial government, that messaging that they're pushing out is getting to that individual that called me. But I just don't think I haven't <laughs> I just don't see it from doctors and epidemiologists and people who study the data and science. Where do you stand on this? What are your residents telling you about how frustrated they are uh, about uh, about youth sports, tennis, pickleball for seniors, golf uh, being shut down for 32 days now, especially when the weather gets better? Mm-hmm. What are they telling you? Well, as soon as uh, some of our seniors did get vaccinated, they were asking us to open the, the pickleball. Course. Yeah. And, you know, I I stand with, as I have throughout this pandemic, I stand with science and health experts, the science advisory table, let people play outside. The Ontario Medical Association endorsed that. The Ontario uh, Pediatrics Association endorsed that. And many more individual doctors and health and medical experts that it is safe outside as long as you continue to follow the health precautions and stay six feet apart from each other and and where that's a challenge, make sure you mask up even outside. So there is not uh, uh, compelling evidence or data that people have contracted COVID from being outside. And so when you look at what the actual health uh, data is suggesting, it is critically important that we allow people to get outside for physical health and mental health. And look, the, the stay-at-home order does not mean stay inside. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not in jail in our house. We are allowed to go out in our neighbourhoods and get fresh air and exercise. And, and most neighbourhoods, uh, in Burlington anyway, are within walking distance of one of those amenities, whether it's a pickleball court or a basketball court or a, a sports field. And so myself and the Halton mayors and chairs are saying, uh, follow the science, follow the evidence, allow people to safely get outside uh, and and exercise and use the facilities that are in their uh, immediate area. And I, I think what's really what's really unfortunate is this became a conversation about golf, but also a very stereotypical conversation about golf and a bunch of guys having a few pops, as they say, on on the golf course. We run a municipal golf course here in Burlington, and our increase in youth golf, because it was one of the few things that they could do last summer, 
has gone off the charts. This is kids uh, just as much as all of our other amenities are. And so we need to listen to the voice of our youth. We have uh, two amazing students here in Halton, uh, uh, Luka Simeonovich and Will Kiprock, who have led a movement to uh, safely return to sports outside, starting with those non-contact sports. And uh, and that is informed by science, too. So we need to listen to yeah. the kids and, and not let a couple of adults who can't uh, control their drinking <laughs> to wreck it for everybody else who can and wreck it, especially for our young people. So so we need to get these things I, opened up, and it'd be great to have it open by the May long. I agree with everything you said. Mary Ann Mead Ward uh, joining us, Mayor of the City of Burlington. Now, there's two conversations to have about that. There's the lifting of the outdoor restrictions. But we know, and you know, um, and I'm a youth sports parent, when we go back to a color-coded system, potentially, gray doesn't do much for youth sports. Gray is still shut down. So, And red means maybe some practices. But ask any parent. They're tired of their watching their kid practice or they can't see them at all. And their kids want to play, you know, games regionally. we got to get to orange if that's the case. So those are really t- two different conversations. I can't tell you the guilt I felt driving 45 minutes socializing and, yes, going outside playing a distance game of golf when my kid is on the shelf and and he can't have a soccer practice with 10 friends outside. You mentioned the outdoors is safe. It's certainly been proven safe for kids. And we had no hesitation, uh, Mayor Ward, sending them out for recess and lunch hour five days a week, five months out of this school year uh, to play outside. And and I want to get them out there as quickly as I can. Absolutely. And and we there is a way to do all of this safely and people are simply looking for that guidance instead of blanket open or closed absolutes you know we are able to we we know how the virus spreads and we know how to keep ourselves safe and and i will say uh, i will just read this from the science table so this is what the medical experts are saying policies that discourage safe outdoor activity will not control covid-19 and will disproportionately harm children and those who don't have access to their own green space especially those living in crowded conditions so you know, that is what the health experts are saying, that these policies are not about controlling the spread of COVID. And why are they there? And so you, you mentioned the color-coded framework. We need to reevaluate that insofar as it relates to outdoor activities. And, you know, they've, they've changed the framework before. <laughs> Let's do yeah. it again in light of what the me- medical experts are saying. And as we reopen... You know, everyone's got that June 2nd, but I'm hoping the voices will uh, prevail and we can get this opened up a little sooner. Our young people are suffering a mental health pandemic, which is just as real and just as devastating as the as the physical health pandemic we're trying to prevent. And real and, quick, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this, too, because we know we know and, and you know, as a as a as a leader and a civic leader that the pandemic um, has not been very equal. It's not been very equitable in terms of who it's who it's hit hard and, and who it hasn't. But when I think about kids that don't have a backyard, let alone a swimming pool, don't have uh, you know, don't have open space, don't have a soccer field nearby, don't live near Burlington's got that beautiful waterfront. I live in Ajax with a beautiful waterfront, and so many don't. So a lot of their a lot of their uh, a lot of their energy goes to playing a sport or just going to the basketball court and finding a game. And we are absolutely doing those kids wrong right now. We are absolutely. It it is disproportionately affecting low income, marginalized communities. We're we're all in the same storm, but we mm-hmm. are not in the same boat. And so some people are drowning and, and some people are lucky enough to have a yacht. And and we need to recognize that and make it fair. And, and again, follow the science, 
follow the health indicators. If the concern is about people gathering around outdoor amenities, we can control for that. We've got physical distancing bylaws and bylaw officers. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your advocacy on this issue. And uh, we're crossing all fingers and toes and hoping you're right and hoping uh, that we aren't, uh, you know, we aren't sidelining our kids and our seniors. I'd point that out until June 2nd. Thank you so much for the time and have a great long weekend when it comes up. You too. Thanks for your answer. It felt like Friday. It it felt like a Friday conversation. Marianne Mead Ward, uh, Mayor of the City of Burlington. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Our next guest I wanted to have on to talk about Danny Fortan, but she also has a fantastic new book out called Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Now, when I say that, as we bring on Stephanie Carvin, you know your book on Amazon it says customers who viewed this item also viewed, and there's four other books, but then the fifth item is a vinyl-coated iron kettlebell weight. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. Like, And I want to clarify that people might be shopping for kettlebells and your book. I mean, the stay-at-home order for 32 days has done a lot of things to our brains, but and you don't get a free kettlebell with your book. That would be a big incentive, but it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. Maybe people are really standing on guard. They're, they're getting motivated. There's, did you think about calling the book Squatting okay. on Guard? Uh, probably not. Yeah, it's leg day. Um, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's always leg day in Canada. You know, <laughs> Canadian national security. Um, well, you know your stuff. You're a former security analyst, and I wanted to ask you about um, your reaction Friday night when you hear, let's let's go chronologically, and Danny Fortan steps down, um, um, perhaps not of his own volition, quite obviously, steps down from handling Canada's vaccine rollout. He became become a familiar face, a familiar voice. What was your first thought Friday night? It was just really, I felt like a gut punch. This is, I don't know, I think the sixth, the fifth or sixth senior Canadian leader that has had to step down or, you know, or has faced these uh, kind of accusations. I think it's like seven if you include General Vance, um, who is, of course, retired. And yeah, it's just a gut punch. I mean, this is someone, uh, you know, we've heard, we've heard a lot uh, from experts, and I suspect that's correctly that you know, the process will continue that, you know, there's, there's people who, who can take his place, but, you know, it's just, you know, this has been someone who's kind of been a calm, reassuring presence the the whole time. And to hear about these allegations, it's just the hits keep on coming. It's just the only way I can describe it. And it's, it's, I think one clarification to make, as we find out yesterday, we go the whole weekend and think, well, what could he have done? What is he accused of? Um, And, and, uh, and when did it happen? And then I had a, a bit of a different reaction. I know I reached out and messaged you to find out that the accusation is, in essence, um, an indecent exposure accusation from when he was um, a university student at Royal Military College in St. John, Quebec, in 1989. And I would not dismiss the fact that we need to hear that that accusation. We need to um, listen to the accuser. He needs to be allowed to provide a defense but I was a little surprised at the um, at the length of time and passage um, of 32 years for this accusation. Like he went to war in two different places and became a very prominent person in the military. And the accusation, which I am not denying, uh, may or may not be valid, was not brought up uh, until he became sort of a, a TV star in a way. Yeah, I think I think there's a number of things going on here. Um First of all, I just want to say, I think that's the, the rumored allegation. Uh, I don't know if the Department of Defense or anyone has confirmed that. So that's, that's been leaked to the press, and we don't know if there's anything else that goes with it. So let's just caveat mm-hmm. our entire conversation saying there is this 
if if that is the case that the, that this is the allegation, then yeah, I mean it is. Some, it's not quite what General Vance has been accused of, which is actually interfering in in the career and and having had relationships with um, people underneath him for a, a long period of time and possibly damaging their career as a result. So I mean that this is a different lead. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean with what you're seeing here is it's. I think the second thing that's coming going on here is that, um, you know, in January, February of this year, when these stories started coming out, I think there's a sense that, uh, you know, women who have had these experiences and been carrying it with them throughout their entire career, they now feel they have permission to speak out about what happened and report it. I think perhaps before they, they didn't feel that permission. And so I do believe that's coming forward, which perhaps explains, you know, why this is happening. As for the allegation, if, if we take it as true, and it, it may very well be true, yeah, it is of a different category than what we've heard in other cases. Um, and I think this is the end result of the Department of Defense not having a proper strategy and action plan to deal with these kinds of complaints. Because, you know, I mean, again, I, we don't know what happened, but let's just say it is some kind of exposure. We don't know the context. Was it, you know, late at, you know, if, if that happened, if, you know, someone knocks on your door three in the morning and someone exposes themselves to you, like that's going to be a different context than we were at a wild party and people were just, you know, yeah. like I don't want to say too much about my background, but I went to a couple of parties at RMC and, and they tend to take their shirts off when ABBA comes on and there's a whole dance party. And um, honestly, it's not the worst experience when you're in Central Crest <laughs> University, but that's just my own personal preference and consensual uh, understanding of what's acceptable at a party. Um, so, so we don't really know the context. The context here could have mattered too. But all this being said, Department of Defense has not had a policy. It seems to have put in place a zero tolerance policy. So the, the problem is rather than trying to come up with some kind of nuanced understanding, the creation of an opportunity to learn from a mistake, from, you know, all these different kinds of things, it, it's treating everything as it's the same. It's a zero tolerance policy. So, you know, and this is a problem because, you know, there's various degrees of these things. You know, this might be treated as a safety infraction, right? You've made the environment, un someone felt unsafe or That's unknown right. and, you know, you need to apologize and make up for what you've done. But, you know, once that's over with it, the matter's considered over with. There isn't that policy. None of this has been taken seriously for three decades. And all of a sudden there's this opportunity and there's this swell of women coming forward with all in men, perhaps too. I don't, I don't want to exclude that yeah. of all of this coming forth and having had without a policy or any kind of check on, on doing something, then unfortunately everything gets treated as the same. Everything from general Vance through to a possible exposure incident. And this isn't, a good idea. This is you can't have a Canadian forces where the entire top leadership is taken out because of a range of things that happened um, perhaps 30 years ago. But at the same time, you do need to rectify and take seriously. It's just the whole I guess the point I'm trying to make and I, I, it's a roundabout way of saying it is that the failure to deal with this in any kind of way for decades and, and you know, the, the serious allegations coming out as far back as, as 1989. Uh, mean that, you know, it, it's all coming in at once. There's no plan or policy to take place. And, and we're all worse for it. And and it really sucks that we're in this situation. Yeah. I, I, and and it's, it's a void of leadership. I think people listening and, and I know I had the reaction on the weekend saying, well, they're not going to if they're not going to get the 410 thing right. And they've sat on this for a couple months. They're sure not going to get something as serious as as the Vance allegations out. Um, and, and you're right. There's the zero tolerance. Um, you mentioned men. 
the whole Me Too movement in Hollywood got rolling with with Kevin Spacey. People point to Harvey Weinstein. It was accusations from um, younger men about Kevin Spacey acting uh, inappropriate, creepy, in a predatorial fashion um, that that got a conversation started. And then we flipped to Harvey Weinstein. And I'd also say you're right. We've got to have some room left for for nuance and understand Harvey Weinstein, yes, deserves to be behind bars. He's a serial predator and a serial rapist. But he is not Louis C.K., who seems to have some creepy habits. And he's not Aziz Ansari, who seemed like he went on a bad date. And we've all been on bad dates, and we've all made regretful decisions. I will say this, sexual or otherwise. Like, there's different layers. And why would the Canadian military be any different in that context? Yeah, and I think that, you know, like I said, um, not to comment on the Hollywood stuff, I try to avoid that in my life. My life's already complicated. Uh, but the, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. And, and But, you know, we're not also talking about the movie industry. We're talking about the, the thing that's supposed to keep us safe. And it's that's right. You know, it's in our long-term care homes and is is helping to bring vaccines across the country and also defend us to the Russians for at the same time. You know, I mean, this is a very serious deal. And this is why, you know, I mean, a lot of times I think we kind of see these issues. Oh, this is a women's issue. This is a Me Too movement. No, for me, this is actually national security. Like our Canadian armed forces can't run effectively if a good chunk of its membership, women or, you know, ethnic minorities or people who, you know, are, are in this kind of toxic environment. Like, just think of the contributions we're, we're losing because these people haven't been, you know, fixed. Um, just look at the problems we're having now in our leadership because of these allegations that have come forward. Um, you know, this is actually impacting harm, not to mention the fact that, like, in the case of a van, you're actually talking about someone who, you know, had access to all of the intelligence that Canada has and was, you know, in a highly blackmailable position. Like, there's so many national security issues that are being discussed. So it's like, you know, I think it's, you know, just to frame this out, it's, it's not just a women's issue. It's not just about, you know, making people feel safe. This is about the operational performance of the Canadian Armed Forces, the potential for insider threats because people are engaging in sexual misconduct and could be blackmailed for it. Um, there's all kinds of things here that just, you know, really, really well, concern me. Well, I think I think there's there's the, the the most important issue is people feeling safe and secure and unthreatened and unbothered if you're a woman. But I also think about men. And yes, I'll say this similar to police, although this happens with men and women in policing, people who go in and do all the right things and make all the right calls and they're honorable and they're in it for a reason. And, you know, now they they they're hesitant to tell people that they're cops when bad things happen. And there's there's two police stories today in the news, even in, in Toronto about this. So when I see the number that there were 581 reports of sexual assault in the Canadian military over the past five years, I think, you know, for a one to 10 ratio, that would mean 5,800 reports of sexual assault in the U.S. military. And that sure as hell would be a story. Um, so yeah, but, you know, we've got we've got to clean that up. The Americans are taking this far more seriously. Absolutely. Already, they are. You know, they are. They're yeah, better at this so they're, far. They're, they're taking steps that our government has hesitated to take. They're putting up an independent investigation authority. And that's yeah. where the Department of Defense wants to go. And, and actually, it's an issue. It's a strange bipartisan issue. It's this is actually one issue where Republicans and Democrats agree because they understand that the national security at stake. Our government, on the other hand, is putting out another report. Our government is putting out, you know, like like a, another, you know, 
where where are the steps? You know, they could start acting today to set up this independent mechanism to set up a proper policy so that we're not in a position where, you know, the guy who is handing out our vaccines is now being accused of something that happened 30 years ago, which may or may not, I don't know, be be minor in nature. It's, it's just, you know, mm. why is the government dragging its feet on this? It, dra- it makes it makes me extremely frustrated. And I, I don't I think Aaron O'Toole and Jugmeet Singh, I, I think they should pound away. I got I got 30 seconds here. Should I mean, should Harjit Sajan should he have resigned by now? Just on on principle, it is. It's, I, I cannot believe there was political pressure to force Bill Moore no out in the Wee scandal, and nobody was getting sexually assaulted or raped in the Wee scandal. This is a huge problem for me. Yeah, I, I do believe he should resign, and just briefly because you know he's someone who uh, had heard that there were allegations going on, said he didn't want to interfere in the investigation, which was correct, but then never followed up. Yeah. Never. You know, like if you heard that there were serious allegations against the head of the Canadian military, wouldn't you be a little bit curious? Wouldn't you maybe follow up? And I think his failure to do so repeatedly is a a deep problem. The failure to really implement Operation Honor uh, is also uh, very damnable. And I think, yes, he should resign. Yeah. And the pandemic's a cheap excuse. This guy, this is literally uh, this is you have one job and it's to it's to tidy this up. Uh, Her book is Stand on Guard, Reassessing Threats to Canada's National Security. Get your own damn kettlebells. That's my that's from me, not from you. Uh, Stephanie Carvin, I always enjoy your work. The book is great. I urge people to uh, to get it, to read it. Thanks very much for spending time with me today. Thank you so much. It's always great to be on the show. You got it. Uh, Stephanie Carvin uh, joining us on 900 CHML, 980 CFPL in London. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Our next guest, an infectious disease physician at St. Joe's in Hamilton, uh, associate prof at Mac University as well. And one of the best guests you can have uh, to talk vaccines, to talk COVID-19. He is Dr. Zane Chagla. It's great to have you on. It's great to talk to you again. Thanks for making the time for me. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, by the way, you're a massive, massive uh, Raptors fan. People would know that, period, not just if they follow you on Twitter among the, the 12,000. I got two questions for you. Should we just pretend? Should we just pretend that this past season, it's like a bad sequel to a movie like Rocky Five? Do we just pretend the whole year never happened? Are you cool with that? I am cool with that. I mean, I think there's been some player development, though, right? Like guys like Freddie, Pascal, G, they, mm-hmm. they had, like, brilliance that showed it at certain points in the year, right? So, yeah, it was a player development year. It wasn't, uh, uh, you know, make or break year in that sense. And, and hopefully, again, you know, with Gary Trent and everything, yeah, like next year will be the restart year in that context, right? But there's And a lot one more that. one more year at least for Kyle Lowry so we can properly say goodbye and thank yeah, you absolutely. at Scotiabank. And, and nobody, we don't want to We don't want to thank him as a member of the Sixers next year or, God forbid, the Lakers with LeBron. We don't want that. We don't want to thank him and have a standing ovation for him wearing purple and gold, Dr. Chagall. We can't be having this. We, we've been through enough. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like guys like Tony Parker retired outside of San Antonio. It just didn't make <laughs> sense, right. right? Like you, you want that legacy to be Toronto's legacy and, and hopefully they respect it. How do you – that's amazing. You are a, a hoops head because you even remember Tony Parker's uh, Charlotte Hornets uh, – um, what, what would I call it? A respite? A experiment? <laughs> something like that? Um, yeah. today's, re- today's really, really good. Oh, I got one more. Chris Bosh goes into the Hall of Fame. Yeah. But, but, who is the first number? The, I'm not a Vince guy. I can't do this because of how he was when he left. So you can retire one number at the Air Can at the Scotiabank Arena. Chris Bosh's, because he's now in the Hall of Fame. Kyle Lowry's or Vince Carter's? Who do you pick? 
I would say Chris Bosch. I mean, yeah, Chris okay, I'm a, okay with a that. Big career in Toronto. He took them to the playoffs. Yes, he left, and so be it. But like, he matured in Toronto. He was he played hard for Toronto, right? Like, I I agree. Yeah, you're right. That's the right answer. He did everything he could, and you, Doctor Chaglin, you would have gone to play with LeBron and Dwayne Wade. You you and they won a title with 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 James. Wade Chagla um, running the show for Eric Spolstra. There's there's titles, maybe not one, not two, not three, but more, more than that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You can't blame him for that. Again, he had a, a great career. Obviously, got cut short by his clotting issues, but mm-hmm. you know, I I think he he deserves that. And again, he deserves to be retired as a Raptor as well, and then put up in the stadium. Well said. Hey, uh, we it's a good day today. I felt the optimism, the sunshine, beautiful weather, and and I like. The 18-plus rollout. I'm glad. I'm so glad. Like, think about, we have to have perspective on this, right? I mean, we can challenge, should we do this, should we do that? But from where we were six, eight weeks ago, this is a great place to be. Would you have made it 18-plus or or would you have not? Because the demand is clearly going to outstrip mm-hmm. supply today anyway and for the next few days. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's fine to go down to this age. I mean, for, for the state of, you know, who's at risk, a 30-year-old and an 18-year-old, probably face relatively similar risks uh, in terms of COVID-19. Um, we know they also face similar risks in terms of exposure of people that can't work from home in that age group. Um, you know, I think there is still something to be said, though, that, you know, this is great. You know, the mass fax clinics can just open to everyone. The province probably needs to come out and put out the expectation for people in areas, particularly with not-so-great supplies coming in, that even though it's open to 18, don't expect you you as an 18-year-old can get an appointment tomorrow, right? And and that's mm-hmm. probably the other part of this. There are regions that just don't have enough supply to do their 40-year-olds, their healthcare workers for second doses. Um, you know, that, that, you know, again, an appointment for an 18-year-old may not take a little bit of time, but they can pre-register, they can put their name in the system. If there's spoilages, they can be called, that type of thing. Um, and, and so, yeah, it creates more opportunities. It creates more opportunities for pop-ups to then just enroll anyone that's at the site. Um, uh, so, so yeah, it's over, more in that positive than in that negative. But, it, you know, it may create some frustration in some of those lower age groups that they're not necessarily going to get an appointment tomorrow, even though they can register on the website today. Dr. Zane Chagla, kind enough to join us on uh, Global News Radio, 900 CHML and 980 CFPL in London. Uh, we saw lowercase numbers today. Uh, mm-hmm. We know we know by now, the, those of us should know, not to get too up, too down about case numbers because it's got to do with how many tests. It's got to do with test positivity and where the hotspots are. That said, it, it's got to be somewhat encouraging. Do you attribute this to the fact we're getting a ton more people vaccinated in the last 10, 11 days? Or is this also about our, our what we're doing in workplaces and our collective behavior? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to separate them all out. I, I would say, though, you know, the, the drops have been more remarkable in places like Toronto, Peel, and York, which have been, you know, throughout the pandemic, the hardest places to get control. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think this is... Yeah, yeah. Some of it is lockdown, but some of it is definitely the gains we've made as people are getting vaccinated. They become, you know, less uh, less able to transmit COVID nineteen in their local communities. That they're now, you know, again slowing down chains of transmission that were there entirely, and and so that vaccine rollout is really, you know, is seeing gains in the places that have been the hardest hit. You know, we've seen hospitalizations starting to come down. ICUs are still filled, but even hospitalizations are starting to come down faster than in the second wave. Again, really suggesting that 
even those cases that break through uh, vaccine that that are that get COVID nineteen, they're not you know represented mm-hmm. in terms of hospitalizations. They're represented in just terms of community cases. So you know, I think there there's there's good news. I think you know, again, the positivity rate in the community has some other issues. The fact that we stopped surgeries, the fact that schools are closed, means that a lot of people who were getting tested for very low risk reasons um, are not being tested, and so the denominator changes exclusively. But certainly, you know, there's there's definitely hope, and then there's uh, there's definitely uh, you know the the progress of our vaccine campaign, the one dose campaign, is making gains finally in terms of curbing transmission, which is where we wanted to do, you know, in, in February March. Yeah, yeah, that we just couldn't. Uh, Doctor Zane Chagla, kind enough to join us, infectious diseases physician at St. Joe's uh, in Hamilton. Um, what I didn't love yesterday uh, in a positive uh, morning so far was um, Dr. Williams suggesting the AstraZeneca doses we have. Um, I know he, he made a point twice of saying, well, we won't give expired doses to people. And I'm thinking, no, no one was thinking that we should or that you would do that. But but the, the danger is in just allowing them to expire, period. Mm-hmm. Surely yeah. there's a better option than that. And I, ho- I, I hope we can find one. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's really two two bits here, right, is offer people a second dose of vaccine, you know, eight to 12 weeks after their first dose where where they're on manufacturer, um, you know, with informed consent. We know the data from the United Kingdom for clotting with the second dose is much, much lower risk than first dose, although that information is just retrospective. It's about 7 million people. Um, and so, you know, there are a lot of people out there that would just say, okay, if you give me my informed consent, I'll take my second dose on time. I just want to be fully immunized, and so be it. There are other people out there that don't want it again. And fine, you know, you, you'll have to wait till the data comes out to, to say mixing and matching doses is appropriate. That'll hopefully be out in a couple of weeks' time. But I think we can't just stand here with vaccines in the fridge waiting for them to expire, right? You either have to go into the plan, okay, we're going to put this in pharmacies and other establishments for people to just round back and get their second dose, or we're going to just say, okay, we're just going to put everyone to, to Pfizer and Moderna for their second dose. Their supplies are good. We don't want to take the risk. That's the end of it. The tragedy is if nothing happens and these expire in the fridge, because there are many places in the world right now, many populations in the world right now that would kill to have hundreds of thousands of doses of vaccine to to give to their even healthcare workers and elderly individuals, not just the average population. Um, And, you know, it looks really poor on us as a nation uh, and as a province if doses expire without an allocated name to them in this global context of being so short on vaccines throughout the entire world. Yeah, I agree with all that. Are you encouraged by our lack of hesitancy uh, through this? I think we've we sometimes when you get asked to describe Canada, you're you almost say, well, we're kind of a combination of the states and a combination of of the United Kingdom. And I think we're falling more in line with the United Kingdom lack of hesitancy than than our American friends uh, right now. Are, are you encouraged? I don't think the pandemic and, and vaccines have been terribly politicized. I don't think masks have been terribly politicized. I, I think we can differ on a ton of things and especially things like vaccine distribution and procurement. But when it comes time to taking the shot, we're stepping up. Yeah, it's, it's definitely good news, right? I mean, the, the Angus Reid poll suggested 82% or 80% and then add to that, um, you know, another 8% that are still in the pre-contemplative phase that probably could be malleable to, to change if needed. I mean, I think you're seeing trust. You're seeing a lot of people that have friends and family that have been vaccinated, which are probably the better points of entry into people that are on the fence. 
you have at least really good positive messaging from many different organizations in terms of the actual science behind these vaccines. You're seeing their effects in places like long-term care, people being saved by these vaccines. You know, I think there is uh, definitely a positive light for this, right? I think, you know, Mm. we probably are going to get to numbers in the high 80s, low 90s in terms of vaccine uptake in the available population, which is, you know, going to outpace at some point the United States where there is, you know, a stall for people that are getting vaccinated to the point where they're giving, you know, lotteries and giveaways and and giving the vaccine out at even like sports events. Mm. so, yeah, I mean, it is encouraging, and, and really the issue isn't necessarily vaccine hesitancy, it's vaccine supply, is that hopefully does get better. You know, again, it's going to get better here as, as more people get the vaccine, we get closer to herd immunity, and, and again, less people end up represented in hospital and healthcare, and, and we move on from this going back to normal life in, in our healthcare system. The the one thing I, I the one thing I think has gone well in the states um, is the, the idea of recommendations and guidance for people who have had one dose. It was one thing for the prime minister to say uh, to use the phrase "one dose summer," but you can imagine here on the, in Ontario, there's been some damage done with the outdoor restrictions. Mm-hmm. I know you're against them. I know you've advocated for them, as has almost every physician, as did the Ontario Science Table. But we're we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to speed ourselves up here in terms of what are things we can confidently do, especially if we've had that extra layer of protection. And and I don't know that we're we're really on track to 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 letting people know. I worry that about all these 21, 22 year olds who will get that first dose and then think. I'm absolutely invincible right now. And though they may not have a bad effect happen uh, for the vast majority of them, we just don't know. We, we, ha- we haven't had, you know, real life study in, in Canada about that yet. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, it's not there are still lots of opportunities for cities to be creative and places to actually give those spaces to people. Right. You know, the Leafs are in the playoffs. Guess what? You know, there are going to be people gathering indoors to watch the game. Now you have a bunch of vaccinated people that can go outdoors, that could, you know, in a physically distanced manner, watch the game together and feel like they're they're normal, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, yes, you don't have to, we don't know the science of whether or not this is enough to prevent a major transmission event indoors and makes restaurants safe or that type of thing. But we do know that it is an extra layer of protection and we do know about low-risk stuff. So why don't we merge them together, create opportunities for people to actually feel like they're normal use cities and regional planning to actually create events for people that are vaccinated or not vaccinated, but using that as an extra layer of protection, using the 30-degree weather that we're going to have to actually really help that, you know, again, we could shoot ourselves in the foot by by not necessarily making people feel like they go back to normal by getting a vaccine. Uh, and there's ways to make us, you know, at least come out of this year which has been traumatizing to actually make us have something that looks like a normal summer, not perfect, but something. And then hopefully again, getting back to normal going into the year. So I really hope places like Toronto, Hamilton, Peel are looking at this um, and saying, what opportunities can we create as compared to, you know, just putting guidelines to say what you can't do. Yeah, have to have to have to have that happen. Uh, Thank you for your advocacy. You're an important voice on this and our conversations are always a pleasure. Thank you for doing this for me. No worries. All the best.
Uh, Dr. Zane Chagla joining us. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. Hey, it's Greg Brady. Hope you enjoyed it. The Bill Kelly Show podcast is available wherever you get your podcasts from. Thank you again for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review. And I'll be back with another one tomorrow.